Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the world's greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. We are Hello. with another episode, me, Stan, and Jim, episode 176 of the pod. And there's only one place to start, chaps. Arsenal, they were two goals up, away from home, at the London Stadium. Kyle Saka misses a penalty. They're back in it, West Ham. They draw to a piece. Jim... Obviously, you've got a a light blue set of lenses on today, but have Arsenal bottled the title in this game? <laughs> then that would be a, a slight overreaction, but I think if they do go on to lose the title, they will certainly look back at this game and think that was a bit of a turning point. Um, yeah, I do actually watch the first half, but I had a sneaky thought feeling that West Ham might give us a run for our money and uh, maybe scare Arsenal. And then I see in the first 10 minutes, there was 2-0 down. I thought, great, you could have at least tried, lads. So um, I get on for the second half. And yeah, a very a very surprising performance, actually, from Arsenal. The result was obviously a shock as well. But I think if you compare it to, obviously, they dropped two points now, back to back week, going 2-0 up. But if you compare it to the Liverpool game, I thought Liverpool were well worth that draw. And if anything, Arsenal were hanging on towards the end. And, Liverpool are a side who've been very inconsistent this season, but at home can, are capable of playing that and capable of beating anyone, to be fair. Um, but West Ham, not so much. And I kind of thought this was more Arsenal's undoing rather than West Ham's doing it. It was Arsenal not controlling the game. Some of the subs I thought Mata were questionable, taking off Odegaard and just throwing on everyone up front. Um, and if anything, they had, it wasn't like at Liverpool when Liverpool scored late on in that one. I think West Ham had equalised before half an hour mark. It was like the 50-something minute when Bowen scored. So Arsenal still had nearly half a game to do something and they didn't really test the keeper. If anything, it looked like West Ham. We're going to go on the other end and make it 3-2. So that is a bit of a concern for Arsenal. Um, and yeah, he's certainly got some of the blue boys' hopes up and I'm sure some of the team were, were thinking that they smell a bit of blood and they could pounce maybe this week. Yeah, it was almost stunned as if Arsenal went 2-0 up and then thought, yeah, we'll play a bit of keep ball here and just knock it round the back for a bit. And then West Ham almost thought, Jesus Christ, if we're going to get back into it, we actually have to get out of this low block that we've set. And when they did start going after Arsenal, they caused problems. But me and you spoke in the week off mic about Arteta, what he said in his press conference about the mentality. And if Saka scores, then Arsenal win that game. So do you think that this is going to be a problem going forward with the young squad or do you reckon that City just run away with it now? I mean, Arteta came out and said that they need to kill teams, didn't they, after it? Um, which I suppose is what you're talking about there. They didn't go for the kill at 2-0, which is funny considering they were 2-0 up at Anfield and, and they ended up drawing. You'd have thought maybe that would have been on the mind, thinking let's get that third goal and then, you know, 2-0 is one of those leads. It's a classic. You know, the next goal is huge. It's 3-0 or 2-1 and... It ended up being 2-1. It was a penalty and uh, it, it changed the course of the game, ultimately, although Saka missed his penalty as well, uh, which, you know, huge moment, probably the biggest moment of the game that would have made it 3-1 with, you know, half an hour to go and instead he missed. And I think West Ham equalised within within five minutes. So, yeah, but whether it is because it's a young squad, I, I don't know. It's probably, I'd say, what's probably more of an issue than it being a young squad is the fact that it's an inexperienced squad in terms of challenging for the title, um, which Arsenal fans won't want to hear this, but if they do end up not winning it, that might 
Obviously, it's not going to be as good as winning it, but it might not be an awful thing in terms of we saw how close Liverpool got and then the next season, uh, you know, went on to win the Premier League by, you know, pretty decent amount of points. So, you know, the young, fine, but I'd say the inexperience is, is more than anything. And we've seen that with the last two results. You'd have thought that they'd learn quickly from that Anfield result and, and you know, gone and killed it today with, you know, like Jim said, them being two, two goals up, was it? 20, 30 minutes into the game, you'd have thought that. You know, go and get that third goal, see the game off, and they never did. And you know, the forever blowing doubles as the headline went on the weekend. Oh, very nice, very nice. That could be the uh, the pod title. <laughs> we might steal that one. Who knows? But Jim, obviously for Man City, you've been here before. Stan mentioned it. Then the inexperience could potentially cost them. But do you think that City now just shifting gears a little bit that? they can compete on both fronts in the Champions League and the Prem and go and win both of them? Or do you reckon one has to be a priority at this point and do you reckon it is the Prem? Uh, no, I don't think he'll prioritise any of them. I, can, I think you can put the FA Cup into that. I don't think City squad is, is big enough to do that. Um, I think they'll play the best team in all three competitions and, and go for the treble. Um, and the way the fixtures have kind of landed this time round with the Brighton game being postponed and it's still not been... Yeah, been re- rearranged. City actually have got the yeah, we're recording on a Tuesday, so they've got the buying game tomorrow. Um, then they've got the cup final on the weekend. That's pretty normal. Then they've got almost a week's rest play against Arsenal. They've got no. Then they play Arsenal midweek after that. Um, then they've got to fit the Brian game in somewhere. So, and the way the first tie went against Bayern Munich, there's obviously not potential to be resting players against Bayern Munich. But I mean, if tonight, if tomorrow was to go the same way he did last week at the Etihad then he could be getting well rested you've seen how City played against Leicester I mean they made five subs in the second half um, that just tells you a thing you know about how far they was ahead in that game and they rested a lot of the players hard. you see Harlan come off Stones come off Rodri come off the kind of resting players in the league where Arsenal at the minute are fighting to get every three points so even though they're going to be playing less games the way City are going about the business at the minute they're actually getting more rest than Arsenal Um and listen, rest doesn't always do the good thing because when you look at that Arsenal-West Ham game, West Ham have just come off a Europa League game, haven't they? And they've had barely any rest. They've done the Thursday to Sunday schedule, which is a bit harsh. And Arsenal had a full week to think of the Liverpool draw and it didn't help them in the long run, did it? So maybe playing back-to-back-to-back and keep winning is even better than having the, the one week's rest Arsenal going to be afforded. Right, listeners, that music can only mean one thing. It is, of course, the bet of the week. And I've done a bit of digging. I've done a bit of research this week. And this one is 10 to 1. I thought I'll start giving you the odds. I'll start treating you at the start now just to tempt you a little bit in more to the bet of the week. I know you all like that. It makes it a little bit easier. But only one place to start. Brentford versus Aston Villa. We've gone both teams to score in that one. We will be speaking about Aston Villa more on that later. Then Red Hot, Wise Crystal Palace to make it four on the spin at home to Everton. They are even money. I thought that was quite a good price, given the fact that it was at Sellers Park. Then Leicester City at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers. I've gone for under three and a half goals. Leicester can't score. Wolves don't concede. I just think it makes sense. And then last but not least, Nottingham Forest. Their away form is terrible this season. So I've gone Liverpool to win to nil in that one. So just to recap, better the week, like I said, 10 to 1. 
Brentford Villa both teams to score. Crystal Palace to beat Everton at home. Leicester Wolves under two and a half. And Liverpool to win to nil at Anfield. And Stan, what can the listeners do with that? Give it up the Rackers. So welcome back. And Cookies just said that Liverpool are going to win to nil at the weekend. But embarrassingly last night, they didn't win to nil. They only won 6-1. Um, so, I mean, we'll go from the off. We'll start about Liverpool. Inconsistent Liverpool probably is the way we'll, we'll title this one. They won 6-1 last night. They obviously beat United 7-0, but in between that, they've they've had a loss to Bournemouth. They got battered at, at Manchester City. Um, what is it with Liverpool, Jim? Uh, are, are they, I mean, the reason they're inconsistent, are, are they worthy of the mid-table or are they 7th, 8th in the league? Are they going to get European football at the end of the season? That's a good question, son. I, I think, I, do you know what? I think they will get European football. Um, I think the bigger question will be what kind of European football they're going to get. Um, they could have to set up a Europa League. They might have left themselves a bit too much to do. But I think if you look at what teams are capable of, I kind of went to that earlier when I spoke about the result at Arsenal. They are, for me, better than anyone else at the top four at the minute. Um, Maybe including some of the top four and um, the way they can play. I thought. The second half against Arsenal was a good sign in the right direction. Um, and then, obviously, last night, listen, Leeds are horrible. They're, we'll talk, I'll, I'll let Coke talk about them. They're, they're terrible in a minute. But I thought Liverpool were doing some things last night that were quite interesting. Obviously, scoring six goals is impressive against anyone in the league. But they put Trent in midfield there and um, it's kind of worked wonders. Um, that seems to be the new the new tactical thing teams are doing. Oh, Trent's doing it in a little bit of a different way. Um, you see Arsenal and C kind of bring full-backs into midfield. Zinchenko's been doing it all season. Um, John Stones of late has been playing in midfield and been getting a lot of plaudits for that. Trent is kind of more advanced when he goes into midfield and I think we can all agree that we've seen Trent's performances defensively and offensively and thought it makes sense for him to have less responsibilities at the back. Um, and now you get the classic. So I'm not going to go into a big FSG kind of run, but you've already seen the let's stand the right back and just put Trent in midfield now the Jude Bellingham deal seems to be off which is very Liverpool and you can see that happening and it might work because Trent is a brilliant player and Carragher last night called him on Monday Night Football the best passer outside of De Bruyne and he's pretty close isn't it? I mean he is a defender by position but he is incredible at passing and that could be something where going forwards and the inconsistency this season has been because I don't think Klopp has figured out how to kind of bounce back from all the injuries he's had and how to set up his team. And this could be a new way now. Um, I'll say this now and they'll lose on the weekend to whoever they fucking play. But this could be a good sign going forward and all Liverpool can do really at the end of the season, they're not playing for nothing either, is to just try and find a new way, a new system and gel that in for next season. And if they can get going on a run, then who knows? They're about, I think they're about six to one to get the top four, which yeah, seems unlikely. But listen, if you put together a good run, the inconsistencies of other teams. I mean, Newcastle dropped points on the weekend, so who knows? Who knows? Um, we'll go over to you, Cook, about Leeds. Less about Liverpool. It's more about Leeds conceding 11 goals in two games at home. Um, Melia, the keeper, has conceded his last 10 shots, I believe the stat was, which is a great nod to Claudio Bravo. Um, what do you think of the chances of staying up this season? It's a weird one in the Prem. My, my relegation candidates changed by the week, and I don't think I'm alone in that one. So I just recall what we said on previous pods, me and you. I think it was just one with me and you, Jim, where we both said that Javi Gracia just wasn't his 
it just weren't inspiring. We said if you're going to sack Marsh, you've got to have someone that's going to come in and and really light the world on fire. It's like I said, it's Leeds, big club, and it's the Prem, and it's Javi Gracia. Really, you got sacked by Watford. I know that that's happened to a lot of people, but like I said, uninspiring is the word that I thought. And they're just leaking goals. They they just cannot can they can't get out of trouble at the back. They they try in all sorts, and I think it was Carragher that said that Meslier is like a little boy in that and. You can't help but agree with him. And I know, Stan, correct me if I'm wrong, I know you thought maybe he was going to improve and obviously you have to put him in to do so, but I've just never liked him. But I know you didn't actually mind him. Yeah, to be fair, when he came up, I always, he was, I think he was like 19, 20 when they bought him, but he's he's gone backwards since then. Uh, I did like how he was in, in Bielsa's system, to be honest, but maybe that's because I'm yearning for any goalkeeper that can actually use his feet. So, um, no, I, 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 don't, I don't know with Leeds. It's, I suppose it's the opposite of what Dyche has done, where he'd always back Everton to get a clean sheet, really, even, you know, in big games I mean they got a clean sheet at Arsenal in his first game there but you just don't back this lead seem to get a clean sheet you know 11 goals conceded in the last two they had a decent amount of goal difference than everybody else and that's just been absolutely obliterated and that you know it, it's worth a point like the saying goes it, it's worth a point because obviously they finished level with somebody else that sat in 18th or 17th but they've got that superior goal difference they're playing Premier League football next year and they've just absolutely lost it so uh, I mean six goals in the last game five goals in the game before against Palace and Liverpool and look, Liverpool by name is big but you know they're both pretty much mid-table sides you know okay Liverpool are 8th or whatever they are but Palace are 11th, 12th, something like that. And they're conceding five and six to them. It's just not good enough. And they're not even scoring. I know under BLC, you always back them maybe to win a game 4-3. But it's looking really, really bleak for them. I'm not sure what the fixtures are for the rest of the season. But, you know, I look forward to United signing De Gea on a new contract and bringing in Elan Meslier on a, on a cheap, on a relegation. So, well, yeah. Well, Stan, funny you should say about the fixtures. I do actually have them in front of me. They play Fulham. Lovely. Away from home at the weekend, a Mitrovic-less Fulham, might I add. Then they've got a six-pointer against Leicester at home, Bournemouth away, Man City away, Newcastle at home, followed by West Ham away and Spurs at home. I think it's that yeah. way you play Bournemouth and Leicester, isn't it? Um, about to about weeks, the two massive six-pointers there. Bournemouth has done really well recently, and we spoke about them a bit last week, but they are the two big six-pointers, winnable games. I, I do, I do worry for Leeds though. I think if, if I watched most of the Premier League this weekend, and the two worst performances by teams I thought were by far um, Leeds and Notts Forest, both teams that are supposed to be fighting for the fighting for survival. Listen, um, Notts Forest were technically in the game for eighty minutes, but if you watch that game, that could have been six one, six now, um, and that's just not what teams down there can be doing. You've got to stay in games as long as possible. You've got to be tired at the back and have some form of quality up front to try and steal points and at the minute Notts Forest and Leeds are kind of growing into whipping boys um, I'll be honest and it's not looking great for him and he, it's just hard to predict because the teams around him are doing fuck all live I mean Leicester and Everton are just doing his worst so yeah like you say Cook ever changing predictions down there yeah I just think it's it's so hard to tell and just when you think that someone's down there, like we was on about West Ham, me and you again on a pod previously, saying Moyes does pull them out of the bag, but just when you think he's out and just when you think it's gone stale, you get an inspiring performance like that when they're 2-0 down. And 
Stan, I know me and you said as well that Bournemouth, we like, and Gary O'Neill, we spoke about recently and give him some praise. Mm -hmm. They pick up points in weird places and that Spurs win for them just to pick up what they're about, which is weird. They do. Picked up, picked up a, a, a big win at his next club as well when Spurs are down on the sixth and seventh choice. That's your prediction. By August. Um, no, obviously, great win for them. And I, I mentioned before, they beat Liverpool too. So they've had some really good results, Bournemouth. But I think because it's so tight, just going back to your earlier point, obviously, West Ham get a couple of results and they're out of it. It works the other way as well. Look, Leeds. Okay, people were mentioning them, but you looked at them and thought, yeah, they're doing all right. The goal difference is strong. Two games later, you know, the minus however many goals, 10 goals off the goal difference ultimately, not, not minus nine, minus 10 over those two games. And they're right back in it. So two good results pulls you out of it. Two bad results pulls you back in it. So yeah, in a fortnight, you know, our predictions have probably changed and Leeds might be a few points clear or they might be sat 19th and Southampton have done something ridiculous. So you don't know. Right, welcome back, listeners, to the best part of the podcast. It's where we just stop talking shit and start playing games. It's who am I? Just one player this week because Cook's got something in the pipeline for later in the pod. Um, your classic five clues, five points up for grabs in this first one, boys. I was born on the 14th of March, 1979, making me 44 years old. 44. I mean, Cambiasso? It's not a Cambiasso, no. Uh, Xavi. It's not Xavi. Two great players. Um, so, clean number two for four points. I am a former PFA Young Player of the Year and Golden Boot winner. Ooh. Nicholas Anelka? <laughs> Unbelievably, it's Nicholas Anelka. <laughs> Four points. Oh. You know, you do all this research, you get all these clues, and Cook gets the, after that. The, inc- the incredible sulk. You may as well do the rest, Jim. Come on, don't let your research what is, go to what is Golden Boot with us? That's why. He did, he did. He, he did, he did. You, that's when Carlo won the league. So, um, yeah, just further clues were about his controversial career. He's got two feature length documentaries. I don't know if any of you lads have seen any of them. Uh, no, I actually haven't. <laughs> no, apparently there's one on Netflix and there's one on French television programme, is it Canal, about his... Canal Plus. The, was it the Quinell gesture celebration? That was a bit controversial. It could have been anti-Semitic. Yeah. There was a whole, the whole thing about that. Um, anyway, I was next clue was going to lead on to tonight's big tie cook of Chelsea Madrid. He's played for both clubs and he's won the CL with one of them, which is Madrid. Um, and he was Bolton's record transfer, playing for 12 clubs in total. What a player. Really liked him at Chelsea. Wow. Oh, yeah. He he, was know, he, he's had a very decorated career in both on and off the pitch. Welcome back, listeners. Couple of villains on show. Stan and Jim, this week, we are going to talk about Aston Villa and their trip to Europe because they are going to be in Europe next year similar to what we was on about before we just don't know what part of Europe they're going to be in is it going to be the Champions League is it the Europa League or somehow are they going to slip into the conference because Stan we know that you've been very wax lyrical about Aston Villa at the minute 
So, where do you think they're going to end up? Um, I mean, I think if they end up with Europa League places, they'd be buzzing. Probably similar to what I've said before, where, you know, Brighton, we've mentioned it, even if they end up with Conference, they'd be buzzing. I know, obviously, Villa have a lot more pedigree in European competitions, having won the, the European Cup, but, you know, that was a long time ago. So, if they do end up in those Europa League positions, which I think is where they will end up finishing, I think Champions League is still you know, a big thing. I think they've got Spurs, Liverpool, Brighton, you know, a few teams like that, Brentford away, you know, tough fixtures coming up in the last seven or eight games. But the fact that they are even, is it six points off Newcastle that we were sat in fourth? I think Newcastle have a game in hand, but a huge win that at the weekend, um, you know, for Emery. I think that make, makes it five in a row in the league, which he's done very quietly and seven wins in the last eight, drawing the other one. The last time they lost was against Arsenal. Um, which was a huge result for Arsenal at the time. But look, em- Emery's brilliant. I think, you know, talking about Arsenal, he gets he got a little bit of a bad press following Wenger, but, but you've said it before that it was it was a bit of a poison chalice in that case. It was never really gonna happen uh, for him and it didn't. And, and obviously he got the piss took out of him a little bit with his good evening and his accents and, and whatever, but he went away. Back to Sevilla, I believe. Uh, Villarreal won Europa Leagues, as, as we know he does. So, if you get there next year, there's your bet for your Aston Villa Europa League. Uh, he loves a Villa as well. Sevilla, Villarreal, Aston Villa. Um, no, he's a great manager. Uh, Arsenal, PSG before that. It was a you know, really, really good pickup from Aston Villa to, to be able to get him in, take him off. Off here, Real. Uh, I know Newcastle wanted him before Eddie Howe and he wasn't really interested. So, you know, fair play to Villa for convincing him. And, you know, it's, 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 he's doing really well. You know, Ollie Watkins as well. What a, you know, last 10 games he's been having, you know, really involved in that last, those last eight games, those seven wins. Is it five in a row he scored in now? Something like that. And, and is it 14 goals all season or 14 league goals, which, for Villa's really good. You know, if, if you're getting in those double figures as a striker for clubs like that, anybody outside that big six, then, you know, you're doing really well. You'll probably end up getting looked at. So, you know, they'll do well to keep hold of him, especially if you qualify. But I do hope Villa are back in Europe. Classic English team. Jim, obviously, Emery's come in and he's completely revitalised Aston Villa. And like we said, they are probably going to finish in Europe this year. But I say something that has gone underrated, the fact that he's slowly transitioned Buendia in for Coutinho. I know Watkins is getting a lot of the praise, but many Buendia, sorry, Emmy Buendia, a player that we have spoken about the pod a lot, he's playing probably the best football of his Aston Villa career at the minute. Yeah, and the same can be said for a lot of the Villa players, which is a testament to the manager. And I think what Gerard was doing earlier in the season, we spoke about that many, many pods ago now, Cook, but he was changing that from free one a lot. He didn't really know what he did. I mean, he had Ings at the time and it was Ings, it was Buendia, it was Coutinho, it was Watkins, it was one week to the other. He didn't quite know what he was going to do, which it wasn't a good thing for a manager when he doesn't know his best team is. And um, Emery's figured that out, which fair play to him, credit to him. And he's, he's picked the right player because, yeah, like you say, they haven't missed Coutinho. And although he's there, he's not playing as much and he's a brilliant player anyway on his day, Coutinho. Um, and yeah, he's, he's just found his good team and his, the, the game on the weekend was, was really impressive because before that, I don't think, he, I don't, even though Villa was on some really good runners around me, he hadn't actually beat a top 10 team, I don't believe. Um, I think he'd only played Arsenal, City and United and maybe Chelsea and they hadn't beat any of them. But then to go to Newcastle, they didn't, they didn't just beat him, did they really? It was, it was very comprehensive, it was very one-sided. Some Newcastle 
fans are saying it's the worst performance of the season, which is what Villa have done to them. And yeah, all, all credit to them. I mean, I, I don't think halfway through this season they had a dreamt of European football. So just going back to the, even the first question, I think they'll take absolutely anything going from what where they were with Gerard pre World Cup. Um, yeah, Emery's done a fantastic job and it's, it's crazy to say, Cook, you did kind of mention it before we started recording this part, but he could be up there for manager of the season, which he could be overstretching things, but he, he's genuinely put his, his, his high in the ring, his name in the heart, whatever the fucking saying is. But yeah, um, he's done a great job and he's got, he's got a great track record of making his number nines look like Will be as Nolly Watkins is the next name. Just just a quick one on Watkins. I don't know what you had been, just a quick little teaser question we can throw us. Maybe the listeners as well. This season, who's had the better season and who's the number two behind Harry Kane? Ollie Watkins or Ivan Tony? It's a good question. Uh, it's got to be Ivan for me just because I love him. I love his character. And something, something different as well, I think. How many? I don't know if you know how many goals they've scored. It's probably something similar, I'd imagine. Maybe they're both on 15, so let's say they are. Um, yeah, Tony's got the penalties. He's a different type of type of striker to Kane. He's got the the betting allegations, etc., over his head. But you know, ignoring all that, I just like Ivan Tony as a striker. I think he's more all round. And like you say, um, Watkins may be very specific to Emery's system, whereas I think Tony could do it across different ones. I was going to jump in with a stat there, Cook, but you reel up yours. Tony's actually East. Very recently biased with Watkins thing because Tony is still having a brilliant season himself. He's on 18 goals, 4 assists in the league. Watkins is on 14 goals, 6 assists. Yeah, if, if Tony finishes with 20 league goals, that's outstanding season for Brentford. Even if they don't finish in Europe because obviously they fell off a, a bit of a mini cliff, shall we say, of late. But again, what an honour that would be. Obviously, first Brentford player to get the England call up in X amount of years. He smashed it this year and obviously... A big club should really take a punt on him, hopefully, if the betting allegations aren't too heavy, because I'm a big fan of that player and he likes to bet. He's one of us. Hopefully. He's a, he's a, he's a fan of Bet of the Week. Who isn't? Yes. Ivan, it's 10 to 1 this week. Not even, <laughs> not even allegedly. DM us Seven, Brentford, I don't think Brentford are even involved in the Better Week, so surely he's all right. Ooh. Well, maybe. I, I yeah, they are. You know. Both teams have gone and I don't think you'd be happy to be Yeah, Tony goal, Tony on goal. Oh, it's a Tony on goal to, to secure the better week. Oh my God. Oh, go on, do it. What? Have we really just predicted that? Welcome back, listeners. You've had the better of the week. Aston Villa are in it. You've had the little segment on Emre. And now we like to keep our 11 and balls topical. And we said Aston Miller, they're probably going to finish in a European position. But what about the last time they tried to get into Europe, lads? The Europa League playoff round in 2010. They played Rapid Vienna. And the manager was Martin O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> he was the manager. So, lads, obviously I don't want the Rapid Vienna lineup. But oh, I, I, I would like to do really well on that one. <laughs> I would like this Aston Villa four four two lineup, please. Oh God! Um, Twenty ten. Who's going first? By the way, I've just jumped in though. Um, well, you, you seem more eager, so we'll say you can go first. 
I'll go for Ashley Young. Made his way back there. Yeah, Ashley Young was playing on the left flank. Um, I will go with, I believe, club record goal scorer, maybe not. Gabby Bongaho. He was playing up front. Um, Gary Barry. Gareth Barry was not in there, Stan. Fuck. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I don't know. I'm just gonna go with John Carew. No, John Carew was not up there. Great striker. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna go with. Um, Shay Given. He wasn't between the sticks. Oh, he was at City till then, wasn't he? I think. Was. I think so. Yeah. That year, I think. Right, was um, James Milner still there? He was not. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, um, I think United beat him this. Brad Guzan. Brad Guzan was between the sticks, Atlanta United's own. Okay. We are in the trenches now, boys. <laughs> um, Aston Villa. Oh, um, Stylian Petrov. Yes, he played right midfield in this game. Thank fuck for that. <laughs> um, uh, Stuart Downing. He wasn't there, Stan. I believe he was at Liverpool at this point. Was he? Who knows? Who knows? Possibly. Could have been a bit. <laughs> Maybe. Back knows. You're really testing me now. You test them in. This could be a case of me and um, Stan joining together. Okay, let's join. Kyle Walker. He was on loan there, was Eric Lehigh. No. Carlos Cuellar. No. (laughs) He was there. Cuellar was there. Emil Heskey. Heskey partnered Agbon Lahore. Scored with Agbon Lahore. No way, Heskey was still scoring goals in 2010. Yes. Oh, uh, boy. Nick Ginger. Ginger? Sensor off. Loves playing in James, James Collins? James Collins. Wow. I didn't even... No I forgot he played for Villa. I didn't know he did. Until just now. Okay, so we'll give you a mini rundown of that what night. No, he wasn't there. But give you a rundown. So you've got the goalkeeper in the in the four four two, Guzan in there. You've got Carlos Cuellar. You've got James Collins. You've got Ashley Young on the right. Uh, sorry, on the left. You've got Stylian Petrov on the right. You've got Heskett and Bonlahor up top. Can you give us any nationalities or anything, or is it obvious? Yeah. No, no. So I'll give you them now. So you've got an English one. I need to find you the other one. You've got another English player playing centre midfield and you've got another English midfielder partnering. Another Steve Sidwell. It wasn't Sidwell. Another midfielder that does like playing in Clara, ex-West Ham. Rio Coker. It was Nigel Rio Coker. Nice. I'm in the memory bank now. Good. Well, the other two are English. Yeah, so you've got an ex-Manchester midfielder, follically challenged. Stephen Ireland. Stephen Ireland played centre midfield with Rio Coca. Fucking hell. We're missing the left back and right back. So you're missing an English centre half that's in Derby for a bit. Been around the whole city. Yeah, Curtis Davis. 
Curtis Davis. Yes, Dan. What a centre half, by the way. Oh yeah. We, we, we saw him on Stand the train. Stan, that's one of our partnerships right there. It is, it that's is. It is, I'm afraid. And the left back. So you you we just did. sweating. You just sweating now a right back, I believe. A right back. A right back. Who's at left back? Uh Collins played left back in this game. Brilliant. <laughs> where's, the, where's, the right back, where's the right back from England? Just double checking where he was, where he represented. If he represented, no, he's French. They did have a lot of Frenchmen back in the day, didn't they? It's a bit. It's a it's a bit of a weird one. Uh, oh no! Am I is asking? he is he a, is he a right back by trade? Yeah. He currently manages Red Star Belgrade, if that helps you, Stan. I know you're in the Serbian football. Oh, of course. You should be getting that now. Played for Newcastle as well. Debussy wasn't there. He's fucking not turned up oh, again, has he? It wasn't him. It was someone called Habib Bey, if you remember. Oh, oh Sunday, Monday, yeah. Habib Bey. Yeah. Habib Bey. So weird. <laughs> So, yeah, that was the last time Aston Villa contested. They didn't even qualify for the Europa League. They lost this playoff well, game to Rapid Vienna. Yeah, that's not a shock, mate. We just fucking ran through the team. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. The, before, the best bit about this is the year before, they played Rapid Vienna again to get in it, and they lost that as well. <laughs> bogey team. Bogey, absolute bogey team. Yeah, yeah, I always said that. Right, listeners, unfortunately, it is that time of the episode, the time where we do have to love you and leave you. But if you've not had your Cookie Pod fix, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram by using the handle Cookie Podcast, followed by the number one. If you want to follow us on YouTube, give us a little sub. You can do so by searching in Cookie Podcast Clips. We're available on TikTok. Just type in The Cookie Podcast. That's T-H-E, Cookie Podcast. If you've enjoyed the pod, if you've hated the pod, give us a review. Really helps. Leave a comment. Get us up that algorithm. And yeah, pass the pod. But it's been episode 176. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Cookie.